Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We come today to a very, very interesting passage in Acts chapter 15. It's the story of two very dedicated disciples who disagree, who not only disagree, but they separate from one another. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, let's read it. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I read that, and I can't help but think of that little saying that says, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. (laughs) Oh, heaven's going to be wonderful. But how many know that just because we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not mean we're going to agree on absolutely everything. And this is a very, very interesting passage, especially when you consider that prior to this, the church at Jerusalem has made a decision that has avoided a split. But now you have two of the most notable figures in the early church. You have Paul and you have Barnabas, and they're separating. I'd like to suggest to you that there is more to the story than is recorded here. Oftentimes when when you see something like this happen in your own life, you know if you're a part of it that there's a backstory. You know that it wasn't just that moment. It's not just this moment for Paul and Barnabas either, I'd like to suggest to you. You know that there are things that led up to it. You know that over time, things have built up. That doesn't mean there's unforgiveness. It just means there's an accumulated knowledge. And I want to suggest that's what's happening here. You know, sometimes we look at Bible characters and we look at these people and we have the idea that because they're in the Bible, they're perfect. That's not true. Or we have the idea that they don't have problems. Or we have the idea that life is different from them, and we have a tendency to view them as stained glass saints. When in fact, just like James says of Elijah, he was a man just like us. He got discouraged. He was afraid. He knew times when he was when he was being used by God, and it was very encouraging, and other times when he felt God was nowhere to be found. And you look at Paul and you look at Barnabas and these are real people with real emotions, real strengths, real weaknesses, 
And as you look at their story, you, you begin to understand what's happening here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of take you back through the book of Acts and other parts of the New Testament that give us pieces to the story to help you understand what's happening here, and then we'll make some applications at the end. Barnabas, you remember, is from the, he's from the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe in Israel. There are 12 tribes. The Levites are the priestly tribe. They were the ones who ran the temple. The high priest was a Levite. Moses was a Levite. The Levites were there to assist the priests. And Barnabas grows up in Cyprus. He's from Cyprus. He comes to Jerusalem. There's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Barnabas is, is one of those Jewish people who decides to stay in Jerusalem because of what God is doing. He's an early member of the church. He sees the needs. Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sells a piece of land he has, gives all the proceeds to the church to the helping of the poor. Barnabas is known as an encourager. He's one of those people who comes along and he knows how to lift the room. He knows how to build people up. He, he's a great guy. In fact, he does it so much his name really was Joseph, but he so encouraged people, they gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. When you get to Acts chapter 11, there's a church that's planted at Antioch, and the apostles know it's really the first Gentile church, non-Jewish church, and the apostles are concerned that it gets a good foundation. And so who do they send? They send Barnabas. And we learn about him in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, it says, when he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God. He was glad. So this is a person who's a happy person. This is a person who wears easy on people. This is a person that when you meet him, you like him. You like to hang out with him. He's glad. He encourages them all. Everybody's encouraged by being around Barnabas. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He's just one of those winsome kind of people that when you're around, you like them. He's an encourager. He's full of faith. He's not competitive. He looks for common ground. He wants to make people feel good. The problem is sometimes when you're that kind of person, if you're not careful in your desire to make people feel good, you can at times find yourself watering things down or compromising on some of the difficult areas because you don't want to offend people. And then you have Paul. Paul is confident. Paul is determined. Paul is not only well-educated, has the best education you can get in the Judaism of his day. He studied under the top rabbinic scholars. He is a brilliant person, one of the greatest minds of his generation. He is competitive. If you want to get an idea of that in Philippians 3, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, that takes a lot of confidence to say that. In regard to, regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I am faultless. 
You say, well, that's before he became a Christian. So when he's a Christian, he writes to the Corinthians, and I don't have time to bring up all these verses, but he says, in a race, all the runners run. Run in such a way as to what? Get the prize. If you're going to play the game, win. I like that thinking. <laughs> Paul came to Christ, immediately begins preaching. He's confrontational. He's bold. He's direct. He's in your face. He's unafraid of what people might think. So here's Paul. He gets saved on his way to Damascus. He's going to persecute Christians. The Lord Jesus appears to him. His life is transformed. And now Paul wastes no time in preaching. And watch what happens. Verse 22. The first part of Acts chapter 9, Paul gets saved Within just a matter of verses, a matter of weeks, Paul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. There's something about the way he presents things that is abrasive to some people. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying he's not going to give you a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. He's not going to make it palatable. He's going to tell you there's a right that's right when nobody's right, and there's a wrong that's wrong when everybody's wrong, and you are wrong. That's Paul. He just, he just cuts it straight. After many days have gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. They're like, we're going to get rid of this guy. But Saul learned of their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall, and Paul got away. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 9, he comes to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, so here's the connection of Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. How does Barnabas know that? Because Barnabas is an encourager. And Barnabas sees this guy that nobody wants anything to do with. And Barnabas is the kind of guy who says, you know what, I'm going to go find out what he's about. And as he finds out, he's like, the apostles really need to meet this guy. So he brings them to the apostles. Now watch what happens in verse 28. So Saul, that's also Paul, stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Watch this. You wouldn't expect anything else. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Everywhere he goes in the book of Acts, people are ready to take him out. Anytime Paul gets up to talk about the gospel, it generates this tension, especially with Jewish people. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Here's what's interesting. They're not trying to kill Peter. They're not trying to kill John. They're not trying to kill James. They're not trying to kill Thomas. They're not trying to kill Philip. They're not trying to kill Bartholomew. They're not trying. Do you get the picture? They're not trying to kill Barnabas. Verse 31, we read this. When the church throughout Judea, then, so they send Paul away, put him on a boat, say, see ya. 
As the boat sails out of the harbor, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. <laughs> That's Paul. Ten years pass, churches enjoying peace. Up in Antioch, the church has been started. Barnabas goes up there, he looks around, he sees what's happening. And Barnabas says to himself, we really need a good teacher. And he's trying to think, where can I, where can I find who would be the best teacher? And he remembers, there's Paul. And Paul doesn't live very far from Antioch. In fact, on this map you can see, Paul lives over here in, Cil in Tarsus, which is in Cilicia. Syrian Antioch's right there. Church in Jerusalem's right there. So Barnabas goes up to Tarsus. He finds Paul, and he brings him down to Syrian Antioch, and they begin to teach people. Acts chapter 11 and verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Would you notice it's Barnabas and Saul. Two to three years later, they take their first missionary trip, and Barnabas has a cousin by the name of John Mark, and Barnabas takes him with them. And in Acts chapter 13 and, and verse 13, John Mark, in the middle of this missionary trip, deserts them. A lot of scholars believe he left in the middle of the night. I mean, he didn't even say goodbye. When they went to sleep and he heard them snoring, he tiptoes out of the room and he's gone. And they don't hear from him until they get back. The trip was hard, it was dangerous, and he wanted to go home, and Paul was steaming mad about it. Here they are, they're doing this trip, still Barnabas and, and Paul are doing this, but now Paul's upset at Barnabas' cousin. And you have to believe Paul had much to say about that. And Barnabas had much to say in John Mark's defense. You remember in Acts chapter 13 and verse 7, the proconsul and intelligent man, the governor of Cyprus, sent for Barnabas and Saul. But now you get to Acts chapter 13 from Paphos, Paul and his companions. So what happens when you have a person like a Paul is they're going to take over. It doesn't matter if you think you're in charge. If you get a, an eight on the Enneagram, they're going, to, they're going to eventually be in charge. You may think you're in charge. They will be in charge. Here you have Barnabas and Saul, but now you have Paul and his companions. They go on through Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they get to Pisidian Antioch, and in Acts chapter 13 and verse 45, we read this. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Paul and Barnabas are both doing this, but who's the focal point of the problem? It's Paul. And they're upset at him, and they want to kill him. Paul and Barnabas flee from there. Acts chapter 14, they go to Iconium. Paul makes the Jews in that town so angry that there's a plot to kill him, and they leave that town. They go to Lystra. A man is healed there. Paul sees a man has faith to be healed. He says, stand up. The man is healed. The crowd's going to worship them. Then Paul says, no, 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 you can't worship, worship us. We're mere men. 
And the crowd turns on them because Jews from Pisidian Antioch and Jews from Iconium have come there and turned the crowd against them. And they dragged Paul out of the city to stone him. Remember, Brandon preached on that. There's Barnabases there, but they're not stoning Barnabas. It's a very interesting thing. Afterwards, probably Barnabas is saying to Paul, you know, Paul, let me just encourage you a little bit. You're very passionate, and I love that about you. And you're so smart, and that's such a good thing. You are brilliant. You're one of the most brilliant people I know. But you know, Paul, there's more than one way to say something. And can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, we got a track record going here. You're making people mad everywhere you go. And you could say it a little differently, and it might go better for all of us. <laughs> Meanwhile, they go back to Antioch. Here's the map. So they've gone through Cyprus. They've gone up here. Here's where John Mark leaves them. Antioch is where Paul makes the Jewish people mad. There they're going to kill him. There the guy is healed. Um, so they go out to Derbe. They preach there. And then they go back to Antioch. Now they're back at Antioch, and they're reporting what God has done and what happens is, while they're here at Antioch, people are coming from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and these are what the Bible calls Judaizers. In other words, what they want to do is they want to turn non-Jewish people into people who are observant of Jewish ceremonial law. So they want to put the law onto them. They want to reduce serving God to rules. And Paul is very passionately opposed to this. Thankfully so. Paul's right on this. In Galatians, you get an idea of how Paul feels about it, and this is how the Holy Spirit feels about it. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, in other words, if, if you think you're going to be made right in following God by keeping a list of rules, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law because if you're going to say, I can be made right with God by the rules I keep, you better never break a rule. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That is a strong statement. He says, you've completely lost sight of the gospel. As, as this is happening, Peter, the Bible tells us, shows up at Antioch to visit. And when Peter comes, Peter, he's eating with, with non-Jewish people, with Gentiles, and, and he is, is not uh, keeping the distance that you would if you were a Jewish person observing ceremonial law. And then... There are elders that come up from Jerusalem, and when elders from Jerusalem come, Peter suddenly backs away and begins to start observing the Jewish law. And Paul, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to Paul because he's like, that is hypocrisy. It's a terrible example. Look what happens, Galatians 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Okay, now... Paul could have said, hey, Peter, come here. 
hey, Peter, um, you know, you've been, you were eating with Gentiles, but now don't, come on, don't change. You know, stand up. You're a leader. Come on, you can do this. That'd be one way to do it. Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. He did it in front of everybody. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So when Paul is confronting Peter, he is also calling out who? Barnabas. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And in that moment, you can hear a pin drop. Peter's embarrassed. Barnabas is embarrassed. The church is holding their breath. All of that creates the need for the council at Jerusalem. And while I'm not suggesting that Peter or Barnabas have unforgiveness, I am suggesting that they're human and they're embarrassed and potentially hurt. And Barnabas has got to be thinking, hey, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, come on. Are you serious? After all I've done for you, you're going to call me out in front of people? Could we not have had a conversation before the conversation? Could we not have had handled this in a different way? And now they're going down to Jerusalem, and as they're going down to Jerusalem for this council to decide what rules the Gentiles have to keep as they're headed down there, you, you know this is happening because Paul's used to taking charge, and Barnabas is telling him, hey, listen, if you go in there with your guns blazing like you just did with Peter, I'm telling you, they will not listen to a thing you've said. Paul, let me do the talking. I know these guys. I, I have history with them. I know how they think. I know what, what will help them to understand what we're saying. Just let me go in and tell a few stories. It's going to be way better. So they go down there, and Barnabas does the talking, and the council at Jerusalem makes the decision that they make. From all the accounts we've looked at, it becomes clear that Paul and Barnabas are two completely different people. One is assertive to the point of being combative. The other is an encourager and a person who seeks community to the point of potentially compromising. One is in your face, and the other is much more genteel. The question is, which style is the best? And the answer is both. Now, we culturally might prefer, and you personally might prefer, the encouraging person. But there are some things that can only happen when you have somebody who has the stubbornness, the tenacity, the boldness, and the assertiveness of a Paul. We may like and feel better about a Barnabas and think, well, that's more godly, but the Holy Spirit doesn't draw that line. 
Now to Acts 15, and you understand the history that is happening behind the scenes. Over years, what's gone on, let's read it now, and I think it makes a whole lot more sense. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. So here's Barnabas. He's an encourager. He's, he believes in people even if they failed. It's not that Paul doesn't. It's just that Paul would rather they heal up and recover somewhere else than on a trip with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. You can imagine Paul saying, you know, Barnabas, I just don't think that's wise. Paul's learning to say things a little more um, acceptably. <laughs> Barnabas, I just don't think that's wise. Barnabas like, well, why not? Paul's like, well, you know, I just don't feel good about it. Barnabas is like, but why not? I mean, why can't he go? What's your problem with him? Paul's like, you want to know what my problem is? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to lay it out for you because this is how it is. He deserted us. Do you want to know what the word is? He apostanta. He apostatized. He abandoned the faith. He was absolutely faithless. I mean, this is, Paul feels in the depth of his soul that this is a spiritual failure. And he had not continued in the work. I mean, Paul says that. He's, he's just strong. He's saying he's not going. He left at night. He's a wimp. He apostatized, and Barnabas is saying, hey, be careful who you're calling a wimp. He's my cousin. <laughs> and he's changed. Paul, I've been watching him. He's got a lot of potential. He needs another chance. He's coming with us, Paul. I, listen, I'm, Paul, I'm just telling you, he's coming. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement. The word is in the Greek, Paroxysmus. We get our word paroxysm from it. Uh, when if somebody has a paroxysm, they have a sudden emotional outburst. They had it. Not just Paul. We could understand if it was just Paul, but it's Barnabas. Barnabas, Paul has finally pushed the launch button on Barnabas. And <laughs> Barnabas, the missile is taken off. I mean, Barnabas is angry. He's, he's worked up. He's like, I've had it. And Paul says, I've had it. And they have this sharp, sharp disagreement. Can you imagine? He's not going. He is going. He's not going. It's not wise. He's my cousin. He's going. I'm telling you he's a deserter. Well, I'm telling you I believe in him. And it gets, it builds, it builds, it builds. And the church at Antioch is watching this, and they're stunned. They're, these are the two teachers, two of the five teachers at Antioch How would it be if, if you saw the staff just at one another? You'd be like, what? What in the world is going on? It's stunning. It's shocking. It's saddening. And then what you have is you have some saying, well, I think Barnabas is right. I, I think I'll give people a second chance. And others are saying, are you kidding me? I'm with Paul on this. I mean, you can't have people you can't count on when you're in danger. You, he can't be watching after John Mark, wondering if he's going to stay with him when times are tough. you got to have a team you can count on. Who was right? Both. Paul was right. 
Barnabas was right. Who sinned? Neither. You see, this is the thing that's hard for people to accept is that, that sometimes you can come to a place where people disagree, and that doesn't mean that it's the time to take sides, and it doesn't mean it's the time to discern who's right, who's wrong, who, who's got it. You know, sometimes you can have two positions that are both right, but they're not going to be able to go forward to, to get together. It's a really important lesson for the church to learn that there are times, you know, I've been doing this now almost 40 years, there's times you have people who, who disagree either in the congregation or at times it can be on the staff. You have people who see things differently. And those differences result in the need for separation, and that doesn't mean somebody's wrong or somebody's right. It doesn't mean somebody sinned and somebody didn't, and it doesn't mean that there's unforgiveness, and it doesn't mean, well, listen, if you guys could just sit together and figure it out, it'd all be better, and that's not necessarily true, and this isn't something you often hear talked about in the church. So how do we process this? Well, first, let's finish the verse they had such a sharp disagreement. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. If you look at the map, they did. They went opposite directions. Barnabas goes down here. Paul goes up, goes to the churches, and Paul begins to go into Asia. And as he goes into Asia, what's these question marks? He tries to enter Mysia. The Spirit of God start, stops him. He tries to go into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit stops him. He has a vision at Troas or has a vision there. that He sees a Macedonian man who says, come help us. That's the beginning of Europe. This journey is nine months. It's interesting. Barnabas takes Mark, goes to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas, goes on that journey what I want you to notice here is they didn't let disagreement keep them from doing the will of God. Now, I want to wrap this up with just some closing comments that can help us, some principles. Number one, if disagreement occurs, don't assassinate the other person's character. It's one thing to disagree with somebody on an issue. It's another thing to assassinate their character or to say you can read their heart. That's out of bounds. You don't know another person's heart, and you don't even know your own heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. The idea is you and I can't even know at times our own heart. So don't be thinking you can know what is in somebody else's heart. We've come through the pandemic, and one of the tragedies of the pandemic was the division that it brought to people within the church. It was ridiculous. Some people wanted to wear a mask and get a shot. Well, they're a coward. Other people didn't want to wear the mask and didn't want to get a shot. Well, they're a rebel and they're irresponsible. Stop it. There's no place for that in a Christian's life. You want to get a shot? Get a shot. You don't want to? Don't. Good on you. I love you. You're a, you're a follower of Christ. It's none of my business. 
I'm not going to talk about you, and I'm not going to take sides, and I'm not going to get all worked up. I'm going to move forward in life. There's no place for assailing people because we disagree with people. Number two, if you don't get your way in a disagreement, don't let that stop you from doing God's will. So you disagreed. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. But don't rehearse the fight year after year, and don't recruit people to take your side, and don't you dare take somebody's side. Be big enough to say, we don't agree, but I love them, and I'm going to keep on serving God, and I know they will too. And I'm not going to stir things up. Number three, sometimes separation is the best solution. Isn't it interesting that the church didn't try to force them back together? And neither did the Holy Spirit. The God who works all things together for the good was working in that situation. Was it sad? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit call it sin? No. Was in their separation, were either of them violating God's word? No. Sometimes separation can be the best solution and God can work through it and use it. Now, that being said, and hear this super, super clear. Everybody, listen really, really closely. If the disciple you disagree with is your spouse, then counseling, not separation, is the best solution, okay? So don't say, well, I heard pastors say sometimes you just got to separate. No, go see a counselor, okay? Number four. Disagreement is not the end of ministry or of God doing something good. For the Christian who loves God, the Christian who's walking in the right attitude, we know in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Think of the good that God worked in this situation. I mean, it's amazing. The change was good for Paul. He'd been traveling with Mr. Encouragement, who was always telling him, oh, Paul, you're so brilliant. You're so awesome. You're, you're doing a great job, and that's wonderful. But now he's traveling with Silas, who the Bible says was a prophet. If you know anything about a prophet, a prophet's black and white. A prophet's bold. A prophet will call you out. Paul now is with somebody who's going to hold his feet to the fire on a few things, and, and it's going to change him. At the same time, for Silas, what an opportunity to be a part of one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. And then there's Barnabas. And Barnabas is once again thrust into a dominant leadership role, no longer un, under Paul's shadow, because Barnabas has, has things to offer in his own right as a leader. There's John Mark, a guy who failed, a guy who in the dead of night slipped out and left. Can you imagine how John Mark felt? No doubt people were like, what are you doing back where Paul and Barnabas? Oh, they're still on the trip. Well, why did you leave? I, I just... I just, you know, well, it just wasn't for me. So you laughed? Did you tell him? Well, no, we didn't really talk about it because, you know, Paul's hard to talk to. And, you know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. And Barnabas comes alongside him and Barnabas says, you know, John, you, you're going to be okay. 
you know what, I, I still believe in you. I don't like what you did, and, but I believe in you. I believe God's got a call on your life, and I believe God's got a purpose for you, and I believe God can use you, and I believe your best days are ahead. And don't let this failure keep you from trusting God to use you in the days to come. We don't have any record about Paul and Barnabas ever working together, but we do find in the epistles that Paul on two occasions mentions Mark. In one occasion, he mentions Mark. Paul's in prison. It's in the prison epistles. And he says, Mark's here with me. It's John Mark. The guy Paul didn't want with him now is a guy that's sticking with him while Paul's in prison. And then in what we believe is a second imprisonment in Rome, Paul writing from the Mamertine prison, a a hole drilled through the limestone in a cell down below and you're lowered down there and there's the city sewers run through it and Paul chained down in there is writing 2 Timothy. And he says to Timothy, send Mark for he's useful to me. Paul didn't have any use for him at one time but because of Barnabas and because of the grace of God and because God doesn't give up on people. God God not only gives people a second chance, He gives them a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance. Paul says, I need Mark. Send him. You know, God worked through that separation to do some pretty powerful, beautiful things. Some things we won't understand this side of heaven. We leave those things with the Lord. The big thing is we keep our heart right and our eyes on Him as we walk with Him, right?